This episode is brought to you by Maui Nui Venison, a mission-based food company bringing the healthiest meat on the planet directly to your door. I have strived over the years to cultivate a deeper connection with the food that fuels myself and my family, balancing nutritional value and ethics that align with our values. This process has led me to harmonize with nature as much as possible. Maui Nui Venison brings this process to fruition. Not only does this company provide the most nutrient-dense meat available, this is the only stress-free, 100% wild-harvested red meat on the market, an operation that is truly one of its kind, actively managing Maui's invasive axis deer populations, helping to restore balance to vulnerable ecosystems and communities in Hawaii. Maui Nui seeks to restore balance, not eradicate or farm these animals. Managing populations means only a limited number of memberships are available. Get yours while you can. Go to MauiNuiVenison.com slash mindful to get 20% off your first order. Before you drift off into one of our meditations or dive into a podcast interview, I would like to share with you one of the new opportunities for our listeners at The Mindful Movement. This is Sarah Raymond, and I'm so excited to announce the expansion of our coaching services to include two of my good friends and excellent coaches, Nikki Dyer and Laura Cannon. Both Nikki and Laura provide their own unique skill sets, allowing us to meet the needs of our growing audience. If you want to learn more, just follow the coaching link in the show notes. As always, we are grateful for your support and look forward to working with you. Hello and welcome to The Mindful Movement. I'm Les Raymond. Thanks for joining me today for another episode of the podcast. Once again, I'm excited. I get to talk to somebody that I've been following for a long time. I'm really grateful for these opportunities. It's so cool to be able to reach out to somebody that's been in your field of awareness for years and say, hey, let's chat. And then we have this forum that we could do so and let anybody that's interested uh, listen in. Today I speak with Max Schenk from Ambition Athletics. This is somebody I was introduced to a long time ago. It looks like it's around a decade ago when my world of exercise understanding as I knew it was completely shifted with my introduction to uh, a different tool and a different way of thinking about strength training and when I went to get certified to teach these ideas, these concepts, I was lucky enough to have Max Shank as my team leader during the certification. He made a very big impression on me. He wasn't really aware of that. So this was really nice that I got to speak to him face to face after all these years and share that experience with him and let him know how the way he shows up in the world has influenced me and then in turn has influenced the people that I've helped over the years. We talk a little bit about exercise, but we don't really get into the details of like what to do in an exercise program. It's a little bit more of a broad approach. We talk about a little bit of the, the mental side of things, some of the concepts around the idea of training and building a relationship with oneself through exercise, using exercise as a tool to help other facets of our life. And, and he's just a wealth of, of wisdom, really. Uh, part of me, I came away from this conversation thinking, 
He's just got a little bit of Buddha in him. So uh, he's a strong dude. He's a smart person. He's clearly a loving and compassionate person. And, um, and he's open. Like I've watched him change over the years in the message that he's been conveying. And I really value that. It's very easy for anybody to get attached to the way we think right now and then not want to ever let go of it. But the idea of growth is just that. It's letting go and like going through transformation. So I appreciate that. I practice it myself. I look for opportunities to grow. And sometimes I will just self-evaluate and say, what am I holding on to because of some BS belief or whatever, something that I'm assuming is true, but I don't really know that it's true. And then being willing to, you know, shed that and move into whatever is next. Because we're going to change, we're going to grow either way. We're always transforming. You might as well control the dials a little bit. So at the Mindful Movement, of course, we are passionate about empowering other people to play a greater role in their sense of well-being. And Max Shank's message resonates very strongly with that idea. And he has helped people play that role, that larger role in their life for a long time. And I think there's a lot we can learn from him. I really enjoy this conversation. I hope you do too. All right, I have Max Shank here. Very honored that you would join the Mindful Movement podcast. Uh, Max, say hello to the Mindful Movement audience. Hello, Mindful Movement audience. All Thanks right. for having me. <laughs> so you're coming in from Southern California. And um, I've been following you for a while. So I guess I was in like the movement field for a while. And then I had this real like paradigm shifting series of events. And one of them was being introduced to like the world of kettlebell training, which now I look at as just, just another tool no different than using gravity or a pull-up bar or any other thing. But at the time, it was, um, it was a really big deal for me. And I, 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 and I think w- with a lot of people, kind of got obsessed at first um, with it as a tool because it was so shifting to my ideas and whatever my belief structures were at the time about what exercise should look like or be. And I remember there was a, uh, like a certifying body and for the audience, I'm going to let Max tell a lot about how he got to where he is, but just to give you some context of what drew me to you, there's a certifying body that would provide sort of, you know, certifications for instructors that were teaching people through exercise. And there was something that really stood out different about this certifying body, which I think at the time was called Dragon Door, I don't know if it still is. The certification at the time was the RKC. I, I assume it still is. Maybe you can catch us up on that, which stood for Russian Kettlebell Challenge. But the thing that really stood out to me was all the other like fitness-related modalities. When you're going as an instructor to get certified or just education, it was always based on you had to prove like some understanding of the concepts and maybe even prove that like you could teach it 
but there was no real performance required. And this certifying body really stood out because they made you kind of walk the walk. And the testing, at least for me at the time, was really hard. And, you know, some people might not be as hard. They're just stronger, more fit or whatever. But for me, it was kind of a monumental challenge. I was coming in from doing like triathlons and I felt that passing the test for that certification was harder than any triathlon I've ever done. Um, it was kind of staggering for me. And when we went to the actual workshop, which is in Northern Virginia, which, and I think I might be getting this off by a year or two, but I think it was 2012. I think so that's, it's 11 or 12. Yeah, I remember. Okay, so it was a ways back. And it's like, you know, one of these weekend events where there's a lot of teaching, a lot of instruction, a lot of drilling. And then at the end of the weekend, you had to test and you had to perform. And by the first, and you were my team leader. So it was like a hundred people-ish there for a certification, which was like a, just a great community, a great event. But then it would break up into like, about a dozen or so smaller teams, um, maybe if you know eight to twelve, somewhere around there, maybe around ten people in a team. And you were my team leader at the time, and I had like already heard about you and kind of seen a little something. And you know, in that in that world, there was this concept of like reverse engineering strength, and to try to put together pieces how to practice strength. And I remember you being referred to as like, well, Max is a freak. You can't reverse engineer a freak. <laughs> like, like it was a different type of strength. And I watched you on the sidelines a little bit, some of the things you could do. And I, I got an idea of what people were referring to. But this is the real, what really stood out. We're in this weekend long thing. By the end of the first night, I, I could barely like move. Like that, din that night having dinner at the hotel, I was having trouble sitting down. We had done so much more physical work just in the first day than I was used to that my body, it was just a massive uh, wake up call to my body. And then I had two, like another two days, and then I had to actually perform. And we're, there's a series where like the sequence where there'd be instruction and drills, and then you would go back to your group and practice more. And like you had in mind that your, like your goal was clearly to help us succeed. So I would look around the room and the other team leaders were like working their participants on all these in-between times that you had, like, you know, and you looked at it like it was just totally unnecessary. Like this is the worst <laughs> thing you could do. And I remember Max being so freaking grateful that you were my team leader and you said, no, 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 we're gonna rest. Everybody laid down. But everyone else in the facility was like working hard in between the times of working hard and I was like, so glad you weren't making us do that. And I, I bet that there were other people in the room that were probably envious, like that wish they were in your group because everybody else was doing all this extra. And you were like thinking the smartest thing we could do now is recover and like lay down on your belly. And I was like, thank God. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and it stuck with me. It stuck with me as like, uh, and it's kind of, been integrated among all the other modalities I've dabbled in, in my own teaching of like, just that approach of sometimes the most productive thing you could do is to undo, is to just not do and, and prepare yourself to do more later. Oh, man. I'm so glad that was your experience. I think that has probably driven my evolution as a coach more than anything is looking around and just questioning like, what are what's everybody doing? This is ridiculous. 
like you have a bonfire and you're pouring gasoline on top of it. Like you yeah. need to chill out. And, you know, certifications are totally arbitrary. You know, there's no grand certifying body that says, oh, this is legit or this is not legit. So whatever certification you go to with regard to exercise, the only thing that matters, in my opinion, is who your individual coach is or who your individual instructor is. Like you could go to a CrossFit certification and have an awesome experience because the teacher there is amazing. You can go to an RKC and have a horrible experience because the teacher is not amazing. And just like you said, it's more about some uh, rite of passage physical trial than yielding the best result from a fitness and coaching perspective. And so I've always been trying to find an easier way and you know, a negative slant for that attitude is called lazy. But I, I think, you know, we are such highly evolved creatures when we're in our, you know, in our power and in our neocortex and not acting from our lizard brain. You should never have to like suffer, really. You know, you, you don't have to push to the limit where your body is like hurting. And I think that there's more of a, a mental I don't say like dysfunction, but basically like a mental block that causes people to believe that they need to suffer in order to have good things. And I think actually that's true with life itself. There are so many parallels between how people exercise and how people live. And they maybe operate under this idea that suffering is required for getting gifts that life has for you. But I, I don't think that's true. I think if you are intelligent about your approach, I think if you operate from a self-love rather than a scarcity and fear mindset, that you don't have to train every day, but you get to train every day. You get to practice every day and you get to approach it from a, a totally different uh, ideology. Um, most of the way that we look at fitness is, how can we reduce? I need a fat burning workout. And I'll just say, that's one of the worst things you could ever do is a fat burning workout because the psychology of a fat burning, fat burning workout is um, already coming from a place of like a fear mindset. And not only that, it's not very efficient. Like I can eat a whole bag of chocolate chips before you walk around the block. Like you're never going to be able to outwork uh, the food choices you make. And it just sort of masks the problem rather than addressing it head on. And then the other thing is opportunity cost, which is a really difficult concept for people to understand, which is the cost of what you're doing is everything else you could be doing with that time. And there's so much low hanging fruit out there in terms of what will really help your body feel better, help your mind function better. And so I think, I think that does sum up my evolution as, as a coach is I just look at things and I go, this is ridiculous. Like, what are we doing? Like, why are we listening to all these like strong but broken people? Like nobody actually wants that. We end up in our culture gravitating toward the things that are most visually 
contrasted because that's how that's how eyes work eyes are attracted to movement and different and purple cows rather than brown cows so we see like different types of freaks and then we try to mimic that style of exercising which is not based on self-love it is based on hyper competitiveness and ego and all these things that you would be best to avoid so that's why i just i think the word ridiculous really uh, explains my evolution as a coach the best because you just look around i'm like man why are we all training like bodybuilders why are we training like powerlifters why is everybody trying to be the most flexible yoga master ever i mean don't you know what you're what you're sacrificing in order to do that and it's um it's greed it's greed typically uh, it's a, it's a form of greed you want more than you really are prepared for and the same thing's true with trying to get strong trying to get very flexible and so yeah i think it really it just depends on what teacher you get and if someone leads you down a path of um, you know, pain and suffering as virtue, then you're going to, you're going to pretty much follow that path. And that's true once again, for, for exercise and life as well. Yeah. That could be applied all kinds of different directions. So you mentioned a word in there, uh, a couple of things. One thing that stood out there, you said, um, you know, this framework, the, like the way we use our language, um, you know, you don't have to train, you get to train and like the difference in the energy of saying, oh, I have to train or I get to train, you know, one is chore-like. It's like, I have to solve a problem there, you know, instead of like, oh, I'm so as like get to train has embedded in it, like a sense of gratitude that like you're here and you, and you have the opportunity to. And I think when we just use different word, you know, this subtle, you know, change just one word in a sentence, like all the cells in our body are listening to those words and that energy. And, uh, you know, that, that will manifest somehow. And maybe it'll just be the productivity of that session, that training session, but it might go way farther beyond that. And like those energies will radiate off you to the people that you're in contact with, the people that are closest to you, your loved ones. So uh, the other thing too is you may, and I wonder, you mentioned the word opportunity cost. And that's a, a term I've used a lot. And I, when I was preparing for this interview, I just, you know, went on your website and went through your about page. And I see you studied economics and Spanish yeah. uh, combination. And I studied economics uh, in college. And that word really was something that resonated with me in economics, which makes me wonder, like, how did you get to the coach that you are now? authoring books on physical exercise, owner of Ambition Athletics out in California. How'd you get there from studying economics and Spanish? Well, I quit school. Um, and if I, if I was a little bit more intelligent or just more confident, I would have quit much sooner because the way that they teach you how to communicate in school is antithetical to effective communication. Um, I would say the main reason for having the success that I've had is I've really tried to be great at what I do. And 
when I was in my early 20s, it was just massive ego. Like I wanted to be the, the alpha guy. And I realized that it wasn't just about physical, it was also about mental. And you mentioned words there. Words are the way that we guide our thoughts. You know, we have these three brains pretty complex, which is a huge understatement, but we have more or less three levels. We have the lizard, the mammal, and the wizard, I refer to it. So you have your like lower brain, which is reptilian, your mammalian brain, and then your neocortex. And you can guide so much of the way that you think and feel by just choosing slightly different words. And it seems like you've also come to this realization that the exact specifics of what you do exercise wise are, it matters. But the most important thing is that you approach it from a process and practice mindset. And you do it every day because it's kind of like brushing your teeth, I would say. If you approach your daily practice with joy and love in your heart, probably going to make way more progress anyway. But if you approach it with, oh, I got I need to, I need to lose 10 pounds. I need to like do something. You're already operating from a big time scarcity mindset. As far as the, the, the books and the videos and the gym itself, it's, it's evolved along my same line of thinking. I mean, I, for a long time, I really did think the most important thing was to be as strong as possible. And what I've realized is eventually everybody just wants their body to be as elastic as possible. And that's the reason for my latest program, Elasticity, which is building that ultimate athletic attribute, you know, being able to stay light on your feet. And then we go back to language. If someone is uh, rather sprightly. We say they have a spring in their step or the spring of youth. There's an ancient Chinese proverb that says we age from the roots up. Uh, there's another phrase that might be, I can't remember who said it, it was Feldenkrais or Ida Rolf or something like that. I read a ton, I read so much. It's amazing. It's like you can live a thousand lifetimes instead of just one by reading. But if, if your feet hurt, then everything hurts. And so you start to come around to this idea that most people are using exercise to, to make their egos bigger, trying to get bigger arms, bumpy stomach muscles. And there's back to opportunity cost. They're sacrificing so much for these things that ultimately don't matter at all. <laughs> so, so once again, I just think of the word ridiculous. I mean, I look back at how I uh, did it and boy, I would have done a lot of things different, but if you don't have that mentality, you're probably not reviewing your decisions very carefully, right? right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. I work in a, a gym environment and I teach a couple class programs and, um, you know, I put the program up on the board and it stays there and we change it uh, depending upon like the complexity of the program, usually like eight to eight to 10 weeks at last, sometimes 12. And then, you know, we write up a new one. And the clients come in and like they get hung up over what's on the board. And I always have to remind them like that shit doesn't actually matter. Like, yeah, it's a these are ideas, they're guidelines. It's, it's a thing that we're practicing now. All we do is practice. <laughs> All there is is practice. There's no there's no goal. It's just the goal is to practice and to build 
to cultivate knowing that you're practicing for a reason, knowing that your practice like points in a direction that you've determined is something you value, whether that's living well, be elastic, whatever it is. And the goal is through practice, knowing that it's pointing in the direction you desire that like you'll find love and joy in that practice. Like it'll, you will cultivate it. And I have to remind them like the things that we do here, yeah, it matters kind of, doesn't matter that much what matters is you just keep showing up and practice something like i've seen people in the gym do like exactly what you say like something that seems ridiculous and yeah there's an opportunity cost to what they're doing but the fact that they're doing it three or four times a week for like decades like they're going to be okay and yeah they might get some bumps on the road and maybe their form's a little wonky and they're not paying attention to how competent they can move and they're maybe lifting a little bit more than they could lift well, or maybe a little bit more often than they can. And that's, you know, it'll, it'll have its costs, but like they're way better off the person that's like sitting on the couch or like not getting any sunlight and not pulling into the parking lot. Right. There are, there are levels basically. And zero, zero to one is, are you doing something instead of nothing? That's a pretty big deal. And in my primal athleticism program, I come up with, I came up with this daily checklist. So it just, it picks up all the low hanging fruit. There's no effort required whatsoever. It's basically just this assumption that you are a human being. Here's a daily practice you can do. I mean, literally every single day, it'll cover most bases and you'll be athletic and kind of strong. You aren't going to break any records with this one, but you can train every day with it. And the whole point is that I have this little rhyme actually that I, because language, right? So important and just as important, if not more important is whether it's remembered or not, (laughs) right? People really disregard that part. Like I love reading, but honestly, when you read a book, what do you retain? 10%, 5%, 2%. So I, re- I reread the same books over and over again. But what I've noticed is if something rhymes, uh, it's way easier to remember. That's why like uh, the Odyssey and uh, those old, <laughs> all those old stories way back, they would, they would be in uh, song form. And the person who told them was a bard and he would like sing them. It'd be like swift footed Achilles. And it was easier for the person to remember and also easier for you to remember because transcription was super costly. It's crazy expensive Mm. to transcribe something. A lot of people understood language, but they couldn't read and write. So it's kind of funny how things have changed. Anyway, so I got this little rhyme for you. Focus on the process, progress comes naturally. Focus on the progress, the process becomes an entry fee. It feels like you're just paying a toll. Mm. So it's a totally different mentality if you focus on the process versus if you are hyper-focused on progress. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, I've seen that, uh, I've seen the, I guess the pitfalls of focusing on 
the progress or the outcome. It's very common. Like you mentioned, you know, somebody saying like, I just need to lose 10 pounds. And not only does it come from like, you mentioned like a, a place of scarcity, but, or fear. It's like, if you don't do it, you've, you've identified, you know, as a failure, like you've created a failure out of thin air. So now like you have this other negative thing to suffer over. And then even if you do do it, like you haven't really changed anything substantial. Uh, You like, you haven't changed who you are. You're just temporarily 10 like, okay, you did it. Now what? Um, and new mountain, you just go to the next one. There's yeah. a new mountain. Like and I think it's good really growing necessarily. But if you say, okay, I like, I have, um, I don't know, let's say you have excess weight, excess fat, and you're, you've mm-hmm. identified like I value well-being, and I know somewhere in that well-being means I can't really, shouldn't have a lot of excess weight. So right. what's the process to embrace towards like well-being like what does that look like what does it feel like and then as i embrace that process like the symptoms just kind of fall away more as like a byproduct of the process like oh yeah yeah yeah, i remember i used to have 10 more pounds on me but like you're not attached to it or you know like when somebody comes in and you know they haven't been in the gym since like high school football and now they've been in the Mm. workforce and they're like uh, they see the pull-up bar and they want to go, you know, do whatever they did when they were in high school football and they used to do a dozen. So like they start to foot practice that and on their eighth rep, like something hurts and they're not, you're not even paying attention. Well, it goes right back to that greed we were talking about, right? Yeah. You know, they, they think because they used to be able to do it, even with a 10 year hiatus of doing nothing, they deserve for some in, insane reason to be able to do it again right now. And that's, that's where most injuries come from is greed. You try to get a little bit more than you really are ready for with the, so there are so many things I want to say. Number one is it's good to, it can be good for people to measure their results. I think that's fine. And I think if you're a professional athlete, which is a small fraction of 1% of the population, then you kind of have to, but the root back to language of the word amateur is love. Isn't that interesting? So the amateur, the amateur's advantage is something I talk about in my ultimate athleticism two-day video course, uh, which was a two-day live training event that I filmed. Uh, That was one of the lectures I talked about was the amateur's advantage. And when you have that you're allowed to explore more things. Like I get to play tennis, I get to do a little bit of jujitsu, but I don't have to go full hog into any of them. And now my identity is not correlated to my athletic performance, which is a huge burden to bear, really. You know, you got to understand that for a professional, in order to be a professional, you do have to sacrifice your health for more performance. But if you're an amateur, you should never be sacrificing your health for more performance. Yeah, plus it's you're setting yourself up for a guaranteed losing battle anyway as you get old. Like there's a point where that's impossible. Yeah, yeah so totally, man. If you're attached to that, you're like, you have a guaranteed uh, bowl of suffering that you're going to need to eat at some point. 
Totally. And I think part of it is just the fact that the easiest thing to sell is to say, you're not good enough, but if you take my bumpy stomach program, then you will be good enough because it just plays on people's like self-loathing and fears and inspires act. I mean, look, um, media is a perfect example. Fear sells you a lot more, uh, easily than love, unfortunately, but that's also why I go the extra mile to, um, talk with people from a place of love and even sell products from a place of love and body love and self-love, you know, body love isn't about being, you know, obese and saying that you're healthy. That's great. That's crazy. That person has a problem and needs help. Body love is about what you do. It's not what you like, obviously the words matter too, but body love is evident and kind of going back to that, uh, fat loss thing. Cause I think, I think everybody, not everybody, look, I think, well, what are we 80% overweight and 60% of the people are obese in America right now, give or take. Yeah. Um, you know, we could blame the food. It's ridiculous. You can't blame the food because if you blame in the Dow, it says, if you blame, there is no end to the blaming. And I've found that incredibly true. So if you blame, there's no, it's a great book. I love that book. Only 2000 year old wisdom that still applies today. (laughs) Uh, For me, it's more about exploring the behavior patterns and the feelings. Because if you're truly hungry, you won't overeat. But almost nobody even gets to the point where they're truly hungry. It's just that food is a really good emotional release. And usually people use food to avoid a feeling. It's the same reason people use drugs or pornography and whatever. I mean, there are so, that's the funny thing about language. There are words like addiction, depression, and drug where they have done studies on what that word even means in the first place. So one of the worst things you can do is you like label yourself with one of these things, right? Because then that is creating a, a psychic association you say oh i have depression or i am a depressed person it's like probably more constructive to recognize that you'll be a sad little monkey if you aren't doing all of these other things like how would a monkey not be sad if it ate too much and didn't exercise so there are all kinds of things associated with it with food and i could go on this topic for a long time but i'll try to wrap it up Take the your first time, The first time I fasted for days, uh, the most interesting thing happened. I found myself several times standing in front of an open refrigerator. I had walked over to the fridge. I had opened those French doors and I'm, I'm looking at all, I'm looking at all this food there and it was the lizard that took me there. Lizard brain took me over there, right? And then suddenly it was like, I had just been awakened. I was like, wait, I was talking to myself. I'm like, what are you doing here? The plan is to not eat for three more days. There is nothing for you in here. Did you forget the plan? And it allowed me to start exploring, well, what's the emotion that triggered this? Like, what's the feeling I'm trying to avoid? And it was, it was a feeling I was trying to avoid. And I traced it back to uh, homework 
believe it or not. You know, I started exploring uh, when that pattern was rewarded. And I realized that for me, like homework, school was torture. Uh, for most people, it is torture. I think it's child abuse, which is not a very popular view to take, but whatever. You know, no, I'm pretty much with you on that. Probably, probably hated by half the people with that one comment, but there's enough uh, hatefulness in the world. We can love each other. Uh, basically, homework for me was such an emotionally devastating experience. And I mean, I, I, I re read slow. Some stuff is really easy for me. Some stuff is really hard. But can you blame a, a hyperactive young male to not want to sit still after sitting still all day? I don't right. think so. But I realized that what I would do is I would go get food to self-soothe. And that's why if you use food as a drug to self-soothe, it, it's almost guaranteed that you're going to be fat because you can't out-exercise that you know, you'd have to be like doing the Michael Phelps workout where you're swimming in a cold pool for eight hours a day just right. to make up that balance. And once again, it's like putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound instead of considering moving to a neighbor, a new neighborhood. It doesn't really solve the root cause of the problem. So that's why I think uh, self-examination is so valuable. Uh, taking good notes of your life because no one, no one knows what's best for you. And nutrition is probably the worst pseudoscience we have. Like we sort of understand the building blocks and, but we don't really know like a good way to draw causality from food. I mean, look at the history of the egg. The egg has been like the most abused food in our culture. First, it was like, Hey, part of a healthy breakfast. And then it was like, don't eat eggs. They will kill you. <laughs> and then we were like, on second thought, just don't eat the, the tastiest part of the egg, which is the yolk. That's the killer. Death, Where all the nutrition ball. is. Yeah. And then somehow it was like, they were so sure you should eat like, I don't know, you need to get fractions before breakfast. You can eat one yolk and three whites and it's like suddenly egg white omelets were a thing and of course they're disgusting who wants that and now finally we're kind of back to this idea that eggs are maybe healthy again and you just go man like what what are these guys smoking trying to make these like sweeping generalizations like that and it just comes back to the way that we're attracted to different information i mean i saw an article that said salt is responsible for 10% of all deaths in America. I mean, are you kidding me? The, co the cause? The cause? I mean, talking about economics, the difference between correlation and causation, it's like, it's so hard to do a good, to do a good study, even on something like smoking. There's no proof that smoking uh, causes premature death because there are so many behaviors correlated with a smoker There's like no most smokers on it. yeah exactly well you can't do you it can't, it's like yeah. i mean but there's this desire for us to not appear ignorant but the reality is we're we're like painfully ignorant about most things i mean i've dedicated my life to this one field and i'm interested in other stuff too like i'm 
weirdly interested into things like manufacturing and chakras and electromagnetic field theories. And I, I mean, all kinds of stuff. I find it fascinating, but there's this, there's this weird sense of like really feeling vulnerable. And I mean, we could talk about vulnerability for a long time, but when you, when you say, oh, I, I just really don't know, it, it's a vulnerable feeling. And I think for males, it's even more of a challenge to, to recognize that you are vulnerable. And in fact, your life will be a lot lighter and you won't have such a heavy burden of like wearing this armor. Like I know what the heck's going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, most people could use, could really benefit from opening up the vulnerability a little bit more, especially guys, definitely oh, just because man. of the cultural pressures or, and those are probably pretty deep embedded. They probably go back, you know, there's probably some epigenetic control there that goes back a long time to where it was maybe uh, where it served us more. And then now it kind of, that mechanism backfires a little bit in today's culture. That might be one of the reasons we have beards. <laughs> like we don't know why guys have beards. We don't know, really. We have guesses. I've looked into it. You yeah. don't really know. Uh, isn't that funny? I mean, you want to be vulnerable, but not weak, basically. Like, yeah, that would be my best advice to a guy is don't be weak, but, but let yourself be vulnerable. I mean, every fear that we have is ultimately a fear of the death of our ego. And that's why I think it's so backwards to use exercise as a way to build it up even bigger, because that's also the biggest barrier to you actually finding peace and intrinsic joy in what you're doing. Yeah. But at, that being said, like the value you get from learning about yourself, like you, I think you mentioned or alluded to kind of self-reflecting and, uh, like watching the self a little bit as you go through life and learning from yourself. There's a lot to learn from yourself through exercise. There's a lot to like, you're not, you're basically developing a relationship with yourself as you dedicate yeah. time to practice. And through that process, it's like you could kind of, you, if you have an open mindset to it and you are vulnerable you could kind of see, like, just so you said, like, you're in the fridge and you're like, why am I here? And like, you could, because you're self-reflecting, you see, oh, this goes back to, you know, I was rewarding the pain of homework with food or whatever. And now it's manifesting as an adult. It's just some deep embedded pattern that I have or some modeling that my brain is going through. And, um, you know, it, it gives us something to look at. Like, um, you know, oh, yeah. and in, in many, in many ways. And then once you practice that, you know, you could, uh, you could see it in other places of your life. Like to me, meditation is the ultimate of that. Cause you're kind of blocking everything else out and all you're kind of stuck with you and your thoughts. And mm -hmm. eventually you start to look inward and, and you start to learn about yourself and why you do things. And then the act of observation will start to change behavior. It's funny when I work with uh, clients, one of the, the first day I meet with them, it's always just talk, trying to get an idea of like, um, you know, ultimately what we do is in the gym, but in the first few sessions, we spend a lot of time talking about the things outside of the gym, because I find that if you don't address the things outside of the gym that kind of add up to your current state of well-being, the things you do at the gym aren't that important. 
But then there's this synergy when all the other things, all the other inputs start to align with the same reason you're showing up to the gym, then the things that you do at the gym become very powerful. And, you know, we always take a moment on nutrition and, uh, you know, they, many people, they want to know what to do. Like, what should I, like, what should I change? And the first thing I usually say is <laughs> uh, pay attention to what you're eating. Like read the ingredients, like don't change anything. Just right. start reading ingredients. And I would say almost every time they change something, just the act of like observing yourself. Yeah, observation. They're mm -hmm. like, you know, I realized I read this label and it had like seven things I couldn't pronounce. So I put it back on the shelf and I bought this instead. And yeah. it's like, oh, how about that? Like you did that. You're your own teacher. Like all I did was poke you, you know, right. ask a question. What the hell am I putting in my mouth? And it was enough. It's funny what you say there. I mean, that's 90% of the problems people have are because their mouth bouncer is not doing a good job controlling the flow in and out. You eat, you eat food that is killing you or you say things that are killing you. <laughs> so there's this gateway at your mouth, basically. And that's one of the most intimate, intimate parts of our body, right? And that's how a lot of babies try to determine like how something is like find something new put it in your mouth and it's very sensory it's what allows us to talk and make all these very unique words that only you understand like a dog won't really understand all the intricacies of our conversation uh, but the mouth bouncer i mean that's that's like 90 percent of the problems a person has but just to go back was what's the way to reach somebody? And what I find is exercise feels less invasive. It might not actually be as effective as having a really heart-to-heart -heart talk with somebody about their, their overall uh, automatic behaviors, mm -hmm. learned, learned patterns, like, oh, here's self-soothing, here's this, here's that, let's talk about food, which is a super emotional experience. I mean, how many people have eating disorders? So many. One of the things I like best about exercise is it leads people in that direction of self-reflection, self-love, healthy habits without feeling quite so personal because hmm. they kind of go toward the same place because I'm, I'm with you. And when I do a new session with somebody, it's, I could spend the whole first hour talking. Uh, and really, it's more listening to them talk. But I try to do at least 20 minutes of actual exercise, depending on what the problem is. I mean, I have people come see me because their shoulder hurts, they read the simple shoulder solution or whatever. But there's so much to be gleaned there's so much to be learned about this this whole person and that's why it's so important to take a, a holistic perspective of what's going on um yeah there there's really there's really a lot beyond just the exercises but the exercises and exercising is a very non-invasive way to lead someone toward that self-examination and self-love and, you know, breaking down 
the barriers that you put up at a, you know, we all put up barriers at a young age. How could you not, you know, <laughs> like you're a kid and you're like, man, if I say this thing, people, people don't like it. But if I say this thing, people really like that. And they give me lots of like love and good attention. So I guess I'm just going to do that. And so you create this avatar out in front of you. It's like a shield. And you're like, I'm just going to show people what I think they would like. And it's so, it's so hard to stop doing this. It's rare actually. Yeah. Well, you start to do it before that, you know, prefer that part of your brain Oh, yeah. You could see that is developed. So it's like, it's already there. And then as that oh, develops, yeah. like you, you already have all that cumulative momentum in that direction. You're not going to all of a sudden change unless, you know, you have something that kind of really shifts something that inspires you to shift your, your view. Well, and what's crazy is sometimes it's just a few words that make someone shift their view, right. Or just like adding meditation into the daily practice that can make a huge difference. One conversation from someone that you uh, know, love and trust can like alter the course of a person's life in ways that we would never be able to measure. Sometimes yeah. just saying, you know, start every day with a little bit of movement and a cup of water. I think dehydration and lack of movement is probably the, the worst way to take care of your body. Like those two things alone. Like if you had, if you did water, sunshine, and just a little bit of wiggling every morning. Wiggling. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you'll be better than, you know, probably 80% of the population. Yeah. And combine them, bring a glass of water, go out in the sun and wiggle. Yeah. And five minutes. It's kind of funny too, because as a professional, I'm really kind of OCD is not the right word, but I really put a, yeah, I put a lot of effort into the stuff that I create because I want to give both the, the broad view of why you should do this. And I also want to get into the nitty gritty details of here's exactly the best way to do a pull up or a lunge or a row. And here's why we would want to do it this way. And here's how you synchronize your breathing. And here's how you use the position of your eyes to tap into these deep reflexes to make it more natural and effortless and stronger and all that. And that's like, you know, level 10 down the road. That's way beyond nuance. Just do something. Yeah, exactly. The, the details. But <laughs> what's funny is the, the most popular program I've ever created was five minute flow, which was literally just suggesting that people get up in the morning, drink a cup of water and wiggle for five minutes. And it was very, I've never been so laissez faire about a program in my whole life. And I go through, you know, different joint mobilizations and different exercises you can do in the program, but it's by far the easiest program I've ever created and by far the most popular one. I mean, it has like global recognition. And here I am saying like, Hey, I got this secret. It's called <laughs> drink water and wiggle. <laughs> it's, it's be playful for five minutes. Right. It's so funny how that works. And I've had other stuff that I work on for years and people are like, Oh yeah, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, that speaks to something I think really important, though. You know, and it taps into like, uh, you know, we all have child in us, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I've I've seen some of those five minute flow things, and I remember you posting kind of like high speed versions of them mm-hmm. that you could. And uh, yeah, like I spent a lot of time doing that stuff. You know, we call it groundwork, just like getting on the floor, rolling around. Um, and, you know, there's patterns that we practice in it and there's concepts right. with them, but they're not that important. Like yeah. um, they're not as important as just allocating the minutes of your day to practice. That's the most important is logistics before specifics. But yeah. the devil is in the details too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, without any details, you could just hurt yourself, do damage, whatever, but, mm-hmm. and it'd be somewhat unproductive, but um, it's, it's, it's funny too. Like right now, like I, I kind of nerd out on the programming at the gym too, and everything has a reason and it's like layers. Yeah. And um, I put a lot of thought into it. Uh, it's a melting of every teacher I've ever had, every relevant book and the books are never they don't seem like exercise books. Like the book that probably has the most impact on my programming is Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance, which nice. is like one of my favorite books, but that like mm. gives me the scaffolding in which I build a program on, but in the current program, which, and they're always three day programs, my class mm-hmm. clients come in, they're generally 55 to 74 years old right now. So mm-hmm. um, these are not young highly athletic, you know, college athletes or something. Mm-hmm. And on one of the days right now, we have a dedicated time for play. Uh, and yeah. it's like just one of the days. So it, and it's, we do a little bit every round within this certain section that would be generally like our like strength section of the program. It's 75 minute class three times a week. So they get a total of maybe 15 minutes of play a week. And, you know, these are 60 and 70 year olds and, mm-hmm. uh, and it's always on the ground and it's, you know, useful things to practice. It's more like teaching you how to kind of go inward to f- feel like, how do I navigate my body in space in these strange positions, even though they're all kind of out of the developmental kinesiology style, um, like rolling patterns and so forth and different crawling patterns, And like, they love it. Like, you know, people smile and it's like, you're just being childish. Like we all have this child still in them. Like, even though all your cells that you have now weren't there 20 years ago, like the, whatever you are within those cells was there. Like it hasn't gone anywhere. Mm -hmm. You're still you, you're still Max Shank. And um, like we all have this part that yeah likes to play. And I think there's no there, such thing. There's no such thing as an adult. Yeah, we just made it up. It's like totally arbitrary. Yeah. Just, what does that What does that mean? Adult construct of it language. Means no more fun anymore. <laughs> yeah. What? No more fun. Yeah. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm I'm with you. And what's what's sad? One of the things that is sad is that the reason people don't play is because they think they should be doing work. They should be doing some hard work in the gym because if you're, you know, passing a Nerf ball back and forth and just bopping it kind of like a volleyball. So we'll have people do that. I mean, I'm so glad you mentioned play. We do that kind of stuff all the time, you know, pass the ball, dodge the stick, little eye hand coordination, 
everyone's laughing. We play a game called pizza delivery where everybody puts a yoga block in their palm, just balanced there. And the goal is to swat somebody else's yoga block <laughs> while keeping yours balanced. So people are just like swatting at each other and oh, dancing nice. around. And, I might steal that one. Oh, pizza delivery is a fan favorite at the gym. And the reason people don't do more stuff like that is because they're so focused on the result instead of the intrinsic joy gotten from it. Because look, uh, are you going to burn more calories cross-country skiing at a high intensity than playing the pizza delivery game? Yes, I admit it, you will. In fact, use more energy. But it's kind of like going on a road trip and measuring how good it was by how many gallons of fuel that you consumed. It's, yeah, that's great. It's, it's totally ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well phrased, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you read a lot. Uh, I mentioned oh, one yeah. of my favorite books. Are the, What are some of the books you think that you read that stand out as far as um, you feel like having an impact on like the, the mindset, like the approach, the upper level kind of approach you've had to either building or developing or embracing like a movement practice. Is there anything that you've gathered a lot from reading? You know, what's funny is I have a lot of training books. Um, there are like so few that I ultimately think are, useful. Uh, and I know that sounds odd. I, I really do like the book Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Oh, yeah. Super popular book. It talks all about, you know, dissolving the ego and no such thing as problems. There are just situations. And I, I mean, I have a super marked up copy. I, when I first bought a sauna or uh, my in-laws bought a sauna that I used. I, um, I had that looping. It was like six CDs. Yeah. And the sauna had a CD player and I would just yeah. loop that for like a year. Every time I used it, I would just play it. I probably listened to that book three times in a row. Yeah, exactly. And so it's kind of one of those, it's one of those root cause type of books. And you can study like Freud and Jung and all these guys who are trying to figure stuff out. I really would say the Tao Te Ching is my all-time favorite book. Maybe Dune is like a second favorite, which is like a sci-fi story that encompasses some of those things. So it's pretty interesting. Dune, how but do you spell that? Is that D-U-N-E? And what's funny is like 10% of the people listening to this are going to be going, oh my God, that's my favorite book too. 90% of people will be like, I've never heard of that. It's like one of those books where if you <laughs> like it, you really like it. Gotcha. Yeah, uh, I've never I heard it. I will, I will put it in my queue. That's a good one on audiobook. Better, easier on audiobook. That's but, all I do these days, it seems. Yeah. Yeah, it depends on the type of book. For uh, like technical books, I really like paper, but if it's a story, I like to be told a story. It's great. Sarah, my wife, she's going next level. She will get uh, a book and the audiobook and she has it and she reads it while she listens to it she feels you'll retain like it better she retains it a lot more yeah oh you 100 percent will retain it better and if you take notes on it and create little rhymes you'll retain it even better there's just something about the uh, it seems like the opportunity cost maybe it's out of fear but mm. there's something about being able to do two things at one and like being able to yeah. cook dinner and listen to a book at the same time or roast yeah. coffee and listen to a book or take a walk and right that I've, well, I've gotten addicted, I guess, <laughs> to that. Well, it's another, 
it's another type of addiction. I remember when I was teaching a lot of courses and giving a lot of talks and I was, I was getting on a plane like 33 times a year. It's just the number that sticks out in my head where I was oh like, gosh. what, what am I doing? Like, cause I, I like teaching, but I didn't actually like traveling that much. I just thought that was like the mega alpha thing to do. Cause you get, you know, alphaness from your uh, physical power. So, so I'm doing, I'm doing like Muay Thai and cage fighting and I'm running my business at the same time. And, you know, all my entrepreneur friends are talking about how many books they read, which is kind of like how many gallons of fuel did you burn? And so I'm getting into that same loop of like, oh man, my buddy, my buddy, Mark read six books this, this week and I only read one. I suck, <laughs> but, but it's totally ridiculous. Cause it's more about what, behavior changes like how does it adjust your behavior same thing's true with drugs you can drink coffee and have it make you really anxious or you can drink coffee and be super productive and have it be a help healthy helpful part of your life uh same thing with red wine and chocolate i think it's i think those are really funny because if you read a ladies magazine it's like the best thing ever to drink wet red wine and eat chocolate and that's where everybody learns the word resveratrol because it's like here's this antioxidant that makes these healthy and you're just telling people what they want to hear like they're right. already doing the red wine and chocolate but you say oh it's this healthy thing <laughs> it's all it's all about the context of everything going on and that's why you know people want a solid answer like with nutrition they're like just tell me what to eat and i'm like eh, it's not that it's not that simple, actually. I mean, it's simple, but you know, I wouldn't be doing any favors if I just told you what to eat. And then they're like, okay, okay. And then next thing you know, they've bought a book that tells them to eat seven almonds at 9 a.m. and eat a half an apple with a cheese stick at 11 a.m. And suddenly they're just following this protocol because that's how we are groomed from a young age is to take instructions. And that's good because that's how we learn, but it doesn't even give you a chance to explore the behaviors associated with the eating and exploring the genetic differences in what would work for you. I mean, if you looked at me, you would probably be able to tell pretty quickly that I'm mostly Northern European of some kind. Like the snow mystery. Right. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you go really, really far back, uh, I'm African, but probably those those don't matter as much for what nutrition um, is going to resonate with me best. If you compare me to some guy who lives in Ecuador, and you say, "Well, okay, he had you know 400 or 4,000 years of ancestors down there," and I had you know, a few thousand years of ancestry in Northern Europe, should we eat the same food? Not necessarily. Probably not. Probably not. His, his guts are probably way more primed for fruits and things like that. And I can probably, I can eat a whole brick of cheese and uh, be pretty happy with that. I mean, I love cheese. It's so tasty. And it's another thing is, you know, you don't want to, 
you don't want to get into fear about food. I feel like we're talking so much about food, but food is a metaphor for we ingest. You know, you take in food, you also take in information. We're the most curious animals of all time, even more curious than the cat. And so it's natural for us to be caught in these loops where we're like scrolling. You know, we the the problem is that it's almost a godfather offer, like an offer you can't refuse because we have our lizard brain, which is like, I want to be safe. And so, okay, you go inside, you're safe. There's no wild animals out here. I'm safe in my house. I'm not expecting a, a cougar attack right now. <laughs> and I can also have my magic telephone show me the most interesting things I could possibly ever see. And it's hard to say no to that. But the opportunity cost of that is you know, living the life that would actually bring you some intrinsic joy and satisfaction. So the consumption of the media, the consumption of the food, the behaviors in our day, it forms you all the time. You know, another great book is The Brain That Changes Itself, which talks about neuroplasticity. And whether you want to lose fat or burn muscle, uh, sorry, take back, whether you want to lose fat or build muscle, you have to send a really clear message to your nervous system, which is the boss, and say, it's important that we build muscle because you're, you're nervous. The boss is like, oh, why do we want that? There's, there's no reason. It's just extra calorie uh, usage every day. It's just extra maintenance fees. So that's why with muscle building, right. yeah, it's just extra. Your body never wants to waste any stuff. So neuroplasticity works by the said principle, specific adaptation to impose demand. But the funny thing is it is on all the time. It doesn't like just adapt sometimes and not other times. So when you're sitting in the chair, your brain is hearing that message loud and clear saying, okay, so... Max is sitting in the chair a lot. So how can we make sitting in the chair a little bit easier? Well, we'll just mold his tissue to a chair shape and then sitting will be effortless. And so that's what your body is always doing. It's like, how do we make what we're doing easier? It's like, hey, thanks, brain. That's like, that's a pretty cool feature. It would be Backfires, like, a, it would be like a bridge that got stronger when you drove more cars over it and got weaker when you drove less cars over it. That's basically how your body works. Same thing with your mind. I mean, we go back to like causality, man, if you can sit quietly and do nothing, somehow that is now a superpower. That's, that's, that's crazy. If you can focus on something for 10, 20 minutes, if you can just be still, my God, how did that become a superpower? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So do you do, you mentioned neuroplasticity and um, I've dibbled in, into that a little bit. Is there anything you do like that is maybe not an everyday staple, but like a practice that you've embraced that you feel has been useful um, to like develop or cultivate like benefits by like using that mechanism of the fact that we can change our brain, like 
other than like just reading books and getting new information, like are there any activities or just habits that you do with that intention? Like I'm doing this for this reason to just to stimulate this, uh, this ability for my brain to adapt. I mean, every, every exercise I do, uh, I wouldn't exercise, um, if it wasn't going to do that, I would just play. And what's funny is you got to understand if you lived out in the wilderness and you climbed on stuff and you carried things occasionally, exercise would be pointless. You wouldn't need to, your body would be just as strong as it needs to be. So we have to go to the gym to kind of make up for the, the fact that eight or 10 hours a day, we're, we're kind of doing nothing in a, yeah, or at it, least it, in average, most people. Yeah, no, I, that's exactly how I approach coaching. I think about what is the minimum cost investment for the highest return. It's just like, it's just like investing and you could even visualize a pie chart of how much strength exercise you do, how much endurance exercise you do, how much mobility exercise you do. And you can break that pie chart down even further, how much balancing practice, how much eye-hand coordination, how much rolling on the floor. And what's funny is by the time you're done picking up all the low-hanging fruit, you're already uh, an hour in to daily activity. And once again, you don't need to put any aggressive effort into it, but your body will adapt over the long term. And your body adapts at different speeds. Uh, your taste buds change over every seven days on average. I've done a seven day fast and I always thought it was really interesting. You know, just drinking salt water for seven days is a good mental challenge more than anything. And I thought it was funny that you know, probably all my taste buds are different now and I haven't given them any, any stimulus yet. So man, that first orange I ate was amazing. Uh, bone like remodels, uh, way slower years and different types of bone. Um, but it still changes, which, uh, I think, yeah, it changes all the time. You have the clasts, which break it down and the osteoblasts, which build it back up. And that turns into this, like, solid bone but that still it still changes yeah and i think what a lot of people don't recognize is, is i don't think that ability to adapt ever really goes away like it'll slow down eventually you get old enough it will yeah it doesn't go very away. slow but i would yeah. be like i've had i had one client that i think when she did this she was right around 60 and she came in, she had bone density issues and, um, yeah. you know, they told her to go on meds and I said, and she didn't want to. So she came and found me and, um, we did a before and after what's the scan DEXA scan they do to test the, the density. And, um, I think I have that right. And after, I think it was after a year of, you know, and she wasn't lifting heavy weight. Like she was a, a pretty right. fragile six year old, but she was lifting weight that was, um, you know, heavy enough to, to demand a neurological response. We're always mm -hmm. you know, responding to environment. And, um, and then she had like some remarkable increase in bone density, didn't change her diet, didn't take any medication just from pick, you know, picking up something. And it was a lot less weight than most people her age can pick up. But like, 
it was enough to get a response and at 60 and like i have a client now who's uh 70 and he's fairly new and he came in and um with some really like jacked up posture like clearly he's 70 he's had a desk job for a really long time Mm -hmm. so it's really um done a number but he stayed like active so he still has like a little bit of muscle and Mm -hmm. um but it's remarkable. Like at 70 years old, he's maybe three or four months in and, you know, there's maybe a 25% improvement in posture. You know, a lot of people at that age, you just wouldn't think like you could create change. And yeah. we don't think of it in returns of bones and architecture so much. Like they might say, yeah, you could lose fat or you could build some muscle, but and you could do a lot more than that. And, uh, and the brain you could change too. And yeah, I guess the act of exercise itself, even without something specific, that you're trying to do for the brain um, isn't really necessary. Like the acts, the act of movement nourishes the brain. I think it increases some of the uh, like neurogenesis. I think like BDNF brain derived neurotropic factor, like things mm -hmm. that help us grow neurons in our brain. Yeah. You are, can keep, you'll, you'll keep adapting until the day you die. So, yeah. Very, very likely. Um, there are formative phases where it's easier like if right. you teach a kid three languages while they're growing up it's going to be easier for them than if you taught them one and then when they were 20 you taught them another one and then when they were 30 you taught them another one same with music like a lot of stuff they're just in in that like sponge phase let's call it the adaptation is easier but I saw a great video with this gal who became a bodybuilder when she was like 80. And then wow. by the time she was 90, she just looked like she was jacked. I mean, <laughs> she, she was monstrous. It was crazy. And, you know, the important thing about neuroplasticity, remember, is there's that the, the first word of the said principle is specific. So there's a specific adaptation to imposed man. So playing music, drumming, really good for your brain. Uh, dancing, really good for your brain. Being able to uh, coordinate dynamically like that is really good for your brain. And if you do something like chess, it's going to be a different type of stimulus to the brain. If you do something like juggle, it's going to be a different type of stimulus to the brain. But a good diversity of stimuli is what's going to give you the best overall picture. And uh, you know, if you want to do it tomorrow, do it today. <laughs> you know, it's true. If you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah, that's great. If you want to do it. Yeah, we have the kind of same framework. Think about what you want to be able to do when you're like 90 and just do it every day. Just do it every day. Yeah. And everybody, everybody eventually comes around. You know, once again, the problem is we're listening to all of the loudest people who are using exercise to fulfill some like ego pain. Like I want to be the biggest guy. I want to be the strongest guy. I want to be the leanest lady or, you know, biggest butt lady, whatever. Like eventually everybody comes around at different parts of their life. Some people die, never really coming around to this idea, but eventually everybody wants to just be able to feel good and move well. That's all. They want to feel good and move well. And that's where things like elasticity come into play. You can do, 
you know, Tai Chi is really good. It's very gentle. Um, just like nutrition, longevity studies are mostly bollocks <laughs> because we try to cherry pick things. We're like, oh yeah, you know, this one, this one thing, this one variable is what kills you or heals you. And it's like, no, it's not that true. I mean, the, the things that we know the most is if you're obese, you're not going to get very old bottom line. Like you, you don't have to do a study to see that. You just look at all the old people. How many of them are 300 pounds? Approximately zero. Um, familial and friendships, familial relationships and friendships. So if you have an active social life, you'll live a lot longer. Uh, you're way less likely to get uh, cognitive diseases too. So just all cause mortality goes way down if you have uh, friends and you and you engage socially even if you're just playing which unfortunately has uh, become harder now yeah i mean uh, yeah and especially if you have a pacifier that gives you like mm, a, a sense not to. well you you know you scroll on the social media and you're like oh they liked my thing and you're like oh that feels kind of good but it's a pacifier not really a satisfier and yeah, so you can't eat too much. Uh, light, light activity is more than enough. Um, if you look at the charts for like how VO2 max correlates with longevity, if you have really bad, like basically cardiovascular health, cardiorespiratory health, you die faster. But if you have just a little bit of it, you get like 95% of the way there. And any more doesn't really improve your longevity very much at all. Yeah, so, the, the slope, like it drops off fast, that diminishing return. Like going from diminishing zero to marginal one. returns. Yeah, yeah, econ 101, here we are again. Going from <laughs> zero to one though is, is really powerful, just doing something. Yeah, I mean, you're much better off uh, not eating too much, uh, having friends and smoking cigarettes like you'll probably live way longer that way and i'm not advocating cigarette smoking it's just my favorite example to use because when you look at all of the blue zones like they look at okinawa japan and you know south southern greece and like all all these like cherry pick spots right. where they're like wow they live a really long time over there and like a lot of them smoke cigarettes and drink wine and, and there's no gyms yeah, there's, there's no chips. Yeah, they do Tai Chi and like the garden. Yeah, yeah, they do gardening. And you see a guy who's like a, a fisherman or something who's like 97 years old. And he's like picking off mollusks from rocks every day. He like just goes in for a swim and's like pick. And you know, you need to you need to have that like reason to get up every day. Like you gotta have that. Um that fire still in there, but man, if you just like, I don't know, it, if you're in a hospital, that's probably like the fastest place to die. But if you stay inside your house all day, that's maybe the second fastest place to die, right. <laughs> you know? And yeah, you, so, you, plus it just feels good. Like everybody could relate to the idea of going out on a sunny day and just feeling good. Like there's something about it or like, it, you know, just, you know, anytime you engage with nature, Right. You know, and we, we realize 
how disconnected we are when we when we're indoors. Hmm. Uh, you mentioned this elasticity course. Is this a new? Is this your most recent course? Yeah, that's the most recent one that I've done. Uh, the primal athleticism is a daily practice, and the elasticity is more of a structured program that really hones in on that specific trait. Okay. of elasticity. And I, I refer to it as the ultimate athletic attribute now. And like I said before, you're not going to win any deadlift competitions doing it. You're not going to have the largest muscles possible, but I haven't seen, I mean, otherwise I wouldn't have made it, but I haven't seen anything better for really honing in on that attribute, which allows you to bend without breaking, which once again, I think that's the, what's more important than that. Plus it's and fun. Yeah, and all this can be found at maxshank.com. Yep, maxshank.com slash elasticity. Great. And we'll link to that in the show notes. Oh, Max, um, before we wrap it up, is there anything else that you want to share? Anything on the horizon or anything that you just feel like uh, putting oh, out man. there? We talked about a lot of stuff today, didn't we? I feel like we could just go on. You're so fun to talk to. Thanks, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm honored to, to chat with you. This is uh, really great. Yeah. I mean, you've been in my view, like through the screen, you know, since yeah. really since we met nine, 10 years ago. And uh, yeah. it's really great to be able to have this one on one time. You really had an impression on me. Oh, and um, this is really neat to be able to do. And, you know, I'm, I'm honored that we could be a conduit for your message. And uh, send people your way to learn more through your courses and the, the offerings that you have. I think you have a great message. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Maybe I'll leave with uh, monkey see monkey do. So you got to be careful who you try to mimic. Oh, nice. Yeah. Mentors well, for the listeners out there. Always grateful for your listening. Uh, thank you. And I hope you got some value out of this and I encourage you all to check out Max's work and follow him along, follow along what he's doing. And uh, I guarantee if you, if you double click on any of his work and, and deepen your dive that it, you will not regret it. You will get something very useful out of it. He's put a lot of time and passion in the things he does. And I think there's uh, a lot of uh, just great teachings he has and, and a lot to offer. So um, thanks again for tuning in everybody out there. And if you have questions about the episode, send them my way. And if, and if it's something I can't answer, I'll reach out to Max and see if, if he can. So, Thanks again. Everybody have a great day. Well, I want to thank everybody again for listening. I hope you got something out of that conversation. I know I did. Honestly, it was just so great to talk to somebody that I've been looking at for so long and looking up to in some way. So uh, I've learned a lot from Max and I learned more today from it. And I think there's just a lot to offer. Hopefully you get something out of it. And like I mentioned, if you have any questions, about anything we discussed today, please leave those questions in the comment section. I will do my best to answer them. And if it's something that we need Max to answer, then I will try to relay that question to him and see if he could chime in. Thanks again. And uh, again, I just appreciate everybody's support out there and keep letting me know what you wanna see with this podcast and what it's offering you. Have a great day.